0: We are between series right now, and when we are between series, it gives me an opportunity to, um, I think, speak into something that might be timely for us as as a church. Um, It it is amazing how when we are in a series that a message will come up according to schedule, something I may have planned months earlier, and it's like the right time. That's always cool when that happens, Uh, but between series, I can pick something uh, specific, and... um, That's why we're in Luke chapter 3 and 4, this temptation of Christ, this test of of Jesus in in the desert and what we can learn from it because in many ways uh, we are tempted in in similar ways. And I want to start with this. Um, My daughter, Shay, uh, when she was 12 or so, 11 or 12, 13, five or six years ago, she had become the queen of Halo. (laughs) And she would play Halo using Xbox Live and she dominated. And, And she was able to play with other kids from around the country and kids in the UK, which was, which blew my mind. And they're all in the same game together. And she had this headset and, and uh, this microphone and, and she was able to talk to her online friends and, and uh, you know, they, sometimes these, these Halo battles where, you know, they're shooting each other and laughing would turn into games of like hide and seek and red light, green light. It's funny for me to watch all these soldiers running around playing red light, green light, you know. With muscles and guns and stuff. And these kids would have like gamer names like Ghost and Poison and stuff like that. Only a couple times I, I heard her mention normal names like Hannah and Stewie. I remember one time it was about dinner, or time for dinner, and we asked her to wrap it up, and come to the table and eat with us. And so using the sweetest voice, you know, 12-year-old Shay, 11-year-old, she said to her friends, okay, guys, I got to go eat dinner now. Kill Hannah for me. (laughs) And as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded that Christians, so often we can treat serious spiritual battles like a game that's just not even real. So often we treat Christianity as as a hobby or just something that's part of our our culture, but not as something that's real. And so when we get clobbered, we're not ready for it. We lose all perspective, and it it just ruins us. There's a very real spiritual battle going on. And so often in the midst of battle, the people closest closest to us, we view them as our enemy. They're not our enemy. There's a bigger battle going on. And I think we forget that. And we end up turning our our guns on each other. So I just think that this this is timely for several reasons. Uh, Whether we're struggling our relationships with each other um, in the church or outside of the church, or our inner struggle, uh, we need to remember what the Scriptures teach us about this, what Jesus teaches us about this. And here in this passage, Jesus is in a battle. He's in the desert. In the Bible, the desert is often a place of testing and, and tempting, a, a spiritual struggle, a place where there is a battle for your soul. The stakes are high. And some of you are in a battle today and, and you're feeling it. And it's intense. And this battle may have been brought on either by, because of, a, of a, a relational breakdown or a communication breakdown or a health problem or you feel like somebody violated your rights or a financial crisis or whatever it is. You know that you're in the desert. You're tempted. You're being tested. And you know it. Others of you are in a battle, and you don't know it. Things are great, never better, no struggle. Other people have problems. I don't need to be tested. No temptation here, no desert. What battle? And maybe you look at others and think, you know, why don't you just suck it up and get your act together like me? Everything would be fine. And if that's you, you need to wake up. You need to wake up to the reality that there is a battle and it is waging right now. And when you're in it, but you don't know it, it's even more dangerous. Without realizing it, your life is being shaped by how you respond to it or don't respond to it. So it's critical that every single one of us understands this, this battle, this passage tells us what we need to know if we are going to experience in any real way, any real victory. And so I'm just going to walk through a few truths about this. And the first one, we, we talked a while about it last week. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. The battle is all of life. It's all of life. I'll explain what that means. It's not just when the hard times come into your life. There's a battle going on even when things seem to be fine, when it seems like, you know, my life is is full of sugar and spice and everything nice. If you haven't experienced the battle yet and everything's smooth, this might not relate to you. You might feel like, this is totally irrelevant to me. I'm telling you, there is going to come a time and I'm telling you now That when it hits you, a couple days later, weeks later, years later, remember what I told you this morning. And then look it up and play the sermon over again. Because you will need this. All of life is battle. When did Jesus have this battle that we just read about? It was right after a high point in his life. Right before this battle, Jesus was baptized and the spirit of God descended upon him. And what what did God say to him? Verse 22, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This right here is this amazing, incredible declaration. God the Father affirms Jesus that Jesus is his unique son in whom is all of God's joy. This was a high point in Jesus' life. And then immediately after that, Jesus is in the desert in a battle for his soul. And the point is, all of life is a battle. It is. Hard times and good times. There's a battle waging. You know, you know. Most people, I've talked to so many different Christians in so many different churches. They they think, you know what? You know, if I don't mess up, then I'm not going to have any problems. I can avoid the desert. I can avoid the battle. And so often, either consciously or subconsciously, we think that. But, but what happens to Jesus totally contradicts that idea. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he suffered more than anybody else ever has or ever will. So there goes that theory. All of life is a battle. Take honesty. Honesty is the best policy. Right, Gene? Yes. Yes. It's the best policy. Because if you don't tell the truth, what happens? You get into all kinds of trouble and suffer. But if you do tell the truth, what happens? You get into all kinds of trouble and you suffer. (laughs) Right? Whether you suffer for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, you will suffer. All of life is a battle. And if we don't understand... uh, if we don't understand that, our hard times will become even harder. You'll experience a double dose of pain in a couple of different ways. I mean, there's the pain of the hard time and the pain of beating yourself up. Or if you know, you're not really into beating yourself up, then you beat up other people by blaming them for all your problems. That's even more painful because you destroy the relationship. And you cut yourself off from, from the, the community that you need. It's critical for us to understand that all of life is a battle for your soul. Hard times and the good times. Next, this battle is between two kingdoms. Kingdom of God and the kingdom of evil. And what's at stake here is your allegiance. The devil tempts you to gain your allegiance to his kingdom. But God uses the desert to strengthen your allegiance to him because it's the best thing for you. Jesus, um, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says that uh, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the desert. In the desert of temptation, you need to know, was not part of God's creation. It is a result of the fall. It's a result of sin. It's a result of evil. But God uses the desert to strengthen our allegiance for him because it's the best thing for us in a broken world. At the same time, we see that Jesus was tempted by the devil. The devil tempted Jesus to undermine his allegiance to God. Now, It's very possible um, in in a room with as many people as we have here, uh, one or more of you might be thinking, this preacher dude really believes there's a devil? I I do, because Jesus did. Uh, But if you don't, I, I, I do think that you can still benefit from this message. And let me explain. In the early 1900s, people were convinced, it was a common belief that by the end of the 20th century, evil wouldn't exist anymore. That seems so naive to us right now in 2018. But people really believe that by the end of the 1900s, you know, evil wouldn't exist anymore. And that's why they called World War I the war to end all wars. But it wasn't, was it? Because then came the Holocaust and World War II and ethnic cleansing, and terrorism, and the legalized killing of over 60 million baby girls and boys in our country since 1973. Today, more and more leading thinkers, Christian or not, are acknowledging that evil not only exists, but it's powerful, it's intelligent, and it is determined to destroy. Most people agree with that at least. And now you're, you're this close to acknowledging that behind all of evil is a person, a person that the Bible calls the devil or Satan. But even if you don't believe that, I think we can agree that we cannot solve the problem of evil through education or self-help programs or better living conditions. All good things, but evil is too powerful. It's too intelligent. Now, when you're in a battle, it's easy to lose sight of the big picture because you're all worked up in this battle, it's right here. It's so important to remember the big picture or it gets worse because what happens is we end up blaming other people for our problems. If they would just change their attitude, or if they would just change the perspective, or if they would just change the behavior, everything would be fine. They are the problem. And then we end up seeing other people as our enemies, as opposed to our brothers and sisters, or at least our our, our neighbors. But listen, they're not the real enemy. Remember the big picture. They are in a battle too. And it's not really with you. It's with the real enemy. If you see the big picture, you're not going to blame other people. You won't turn them into your enemy. Also, seeing the big picture stops you from being self-absorbed. What's wrong with me and why can't I fix it? Then you beat yourself up This is where I live. I live here. But, by God's grace, in the times where God reminds me of the big picture, I realize, you know what? There is something going on that's far bigger than than me. I'm in the middle of a cosmic battle that is waging all around me. And you are too. It helps you realize That you need God. Helps you realize that God is with you. And He wants to use the battle to strengthen your allegiance to Him because it's the best thing for you. Instead of focusing on ourselves, we fix our eyes on God and how He wants us to respond to Him. Third, the battle. It's focused on three battlefields. It's not just out there where we easily end up having an us-against-them attitude. It's also in our own hearts, and we forget that. These two kingdoms draw their their battle lines down the center of our, our heart. The devil focuses attack on three key areas, and you need to know this. He'll focus on your passion. In other words, what you live for, what it is that you look to to give you life. Verse 3, the devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus is hungry, but the issue is deeper than hunger. The issue is what will he live for? What will he look to for life? What will be his passion? What will motivate him or control him in the decisions that he makes? Will it be having his needs met or will it be the passion for God? Jesus knew what was at stake here. In verse four, Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's quoting Deuteronomy, which goes on to say, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus says, what gives me life, what my passion in life is, the driving force for everything that I do is for God and his glory. So what will you live for? What are you looking to to give you life? What is your passion? What are you hungry for? What controls you? And you know what? You you may have several really good things that come to your mind, like, you know, my family or my work or my friends or my love life or my success or my approval, my comfort, you know, good times, whatever it is, all good things, right? But when they become the one thing that I need to feel alive, or to have life. We're living for the kingdom of darkness. We've taken our eyes off of God. That's the issue in the desert. Is God enough, or do you also need these other things? I need to ask myself that question more often than I do. I think we all do. Thanks, God, you're great and all, but I also need to have this other thing. What we're saying is God's not enough. And that's idolatry. That's one battlefront. What will I live for? Second, is your mission. Why are you here? Is it to be successful and have a good time? Make a name for yourself? Why are you really here? What does what your life say? What does your calendar say about your life? Your, your, your spending habits? What does it say about your mission, your purpose for life. Verse five, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and the glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. What's the temptation here? Satan's saying, you can have all of the glory and all of the splendor without the agony of the cross. Satan's tempting Jesus away from his mission. I mean, can you imagine if, if Jesus had given in to this? No cross, no salvation. We'd all be lost forever. Verse eight, and Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus says, I choose the cross. It is why I am here. It is my mission to suffer and to die and to save God's people and then enter my glory. And that's the issue for us too. We need clarity on this. Do you seek the crown without the cross? Do you live for your own glory? Are you willing to serve others even if it means you suffer? Maybe you serve somebody and, you know, there was was a whole deal where they bit the hand that fed them. Or they took advantage of you. Whatever. And you're like, well, I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to do that. Make that mistake again. Are you willing to serve others even if it means you suffer? Are you willing to put the needs of others before your own? When you meet new people, what goes through your mind? Do you think, oh man, are these are these type of people I want to be seen with? You know, do they, do they like the same music I do? do? Do they like the same politics I have? Do they have the same theology as me? You know, whatever it is. Will they help me? Will they improve my life? help me reach my goals, make me feel good. That preoccupation is evidence of an allegiance to the kingdom of darkness. It's totally opposed to how can I serve God by serving these people? How, how can I share God's truth and God's grace with them, even if it means that, that I suffer? Thank God Jesus was willing to suffer for us when we had no appreciation for it at the time. (laughs) That second battle is why am I here? The third is your identity. Who am I? Who are you? Really? Verse 9, And he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down from here, and for it is written: He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The temptation here is to test God. Jesus is hungry, He's in the desert. The devil comes to him to create doubt, because that's what the devil does. Are you sure? Are you sure you're the son of God? Are you sure that he really loves you? If God really loved you, then why is he letting this happen to you? Psalm 91 says he'll protect you. Why don't you test his love and see if he rescues you? In verse 12, Jesus answered him, it is said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is saying I am not going to demand that God prove his love. I know I am God's son and I know that he loves me because he said so. And I know I can trust his word even when I'm in the desert. Especially when I'm in the desert. It is the same issue for us. When you are in the desert, when when you are in the struggle, uh, when 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 you're in agony, when there's tension in your relationships, when there's uncertainty about your future, the devil comes to you to create doubt. Are you sure God loves you? Are you sure his way is the best way? Are you sure that he wants the best for you? Then why is he letting this happen to you? And so often we test God's love. You know, if you really loved me, you'd get me this job if you really loved me you'd get me a good spouse or a better spouse or a good family or a better family or you would heal me already if you really loved me when we test God like that we're declaring allegiance to the kingdom of evil those are the battle fronts now here's let me encourage you with this you can't win Well, that actually sounded more discouraging than encouraging. The truth is, you're not strong enough to win. If you had any understanding about yourself, if you had any self-awareness at all, you would know that you would need a deliverer. And so this is the last point here. The encouragement is that the battle for your soul has been won. Not maybe, not possibly, not probably. The battle for your soul has been won. Jesus won it for you. Wait, what? Jesus won the battle for you, and he won it with the word of God. Jesus responds, uh, this is said a lot about this passage, uh, he responds to each temptation by quoting God's word. Jesus knows scripture so well that it comes to him immediately. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. You cut Jesus, he bleeds the word of God. That's what we see on the cross. That is who Jesus is. Even in suffering, when I suffer, Sometimes the words that come out of my mouth are prayer and scripture. Sometimes other words come to my mind when I'm more preoccupied with me. And then I lose my gentleness and I lose my patience and I justify it. We are in such denial of how we justify our impatience. It is absolutely amazing to me. You can have somebody else point it out to you in the middle of justifying your impatience or lack of gentleness and not even hear it because we're so focused on justifying it. But maybe that's just me. I thank God for the gracious family and friends he's put in my life to remind me the battle's been won. You know, in Jesus' moment of greatest suffering on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22, where he says, My God, my God, why have you deserted me? Jesus processed the wrath of God with Scripture. Even then he trusted his Father. Even then he trusted his Father's love, and he says, Into your hands. I commit my spirit. That is trust. Jesus was so filled with the Word of God, the the wisdom, the beauty, and the grace of God, the truth of God, that even on the cross, he trusted in God's love for him, and he won the battle. It is finished. It is finished. Not, it might be finished. We'll see. Possibly. No, it is finished. So what do you think? How can you win the battle? Well, I can win the battle the same way Jesus did with the word of God. I understand that. Um, it's not the whole truth. And therefore, it's not enough. If you leave here thinking that you can win the battle for yourself, you will have a very rude awakening. You will crash and burn. If we see Jesus... Just as our example, we're lost. Thank God that Jesus is not just our example. He is our Savior. He is our Deliverer. He came to live the life we should have. His whole life was lived for God and for others and trusting in the Father's love. And the gospel is is that he lived that life for you and gave you credit for it. I mean, does that sound too good to be true? (laughs) And then he died for you. took, Took the wrath of God upon himself for your sin. The wrath that we all deserve. Took it upon himself. And then he rose again in glory to give us new life. To make sure that we would live in glory with him forever. He won the battle for us. So I'm calling you... All of you to put your trust in Him. If you've never put your trust in Him, or if you need to renew your trust in Him, consciously, proactively, put your trust in Him. We're called over and over and over again to repent and believe. So often, a repent has this idea of when it's used so often is that, that it's a call for you to turn from trust looking to bad works and turning to good works. Turning from bad works to good works is a good thing, but that's not enough. Pharisees were awesome at it. True repentance is turning from all works and trusting bad works for happiness or good works for self-importance and turn to the work of Jesus, who he is, and what he's done, and then good works flow from that. It becomes a a response of of gratitude. and We realize this is really the best way to live. The moment you trust in Jesus, all of your sin is forgiven, and, and his victory over evil becomes yours. And, and now God treats you as his own son, as his own daughter. I mean, God says, this is my son, Charles, in whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter, Amber, in whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter, Shanti, in whom I am well pleased. And here's what I want you to remember. That when you're in the midst of a battle and you feel like you're losing because you are losing, (laughs) you need to remember that Jesus has already won the battle ultimately and God the Father says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. That will change your entire perspective when you're in it. When you hear the Father say this to you, then you're ready to do battle with the word of God. Then you're ready to live passionately for God. Then you're ready to put the needs of others before your own, even if it means you suffer. Then you'll know that he loves you, even when you're in the desert. Listen, I tell you at the end of every service that I love you all. And the reason I tell you is because I do. It's not just a nice thing to say. I love you all. And because I love you, I I need to regularly remind you and myself that all of life is a battle. If I didn't warn you about it or equip you for it, then I would not be loving you. And the battle that we're engaged in is between two kingdoms. The battle line is drawn down the center of our our hearts. And every day we are declaring our allegiance, you know, with our thoughts and and our behavior, We we, we declare our allegiance. What will I live for? For whom will I live for? Why am I here? Who am I? Left to ourselves, we're helpless and hopeless. But Jesus came to fight the battle for us and he won so trust in him put your faith in him you have new life in him and you don't have to fear evil the victory has been won for you amen would you bow your heads with me